thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. All right, church. Hey, can we give it up for our band? Just doing a phenomenal job. Love being able to walk into 2022 with worship. Man, we had a great time um, at our praise party on New Year's Eve. It was great. It was awesome. Uh, We had a fun time singing and making much of Jesus together as we brought in the new year. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 25 because that's exactly where you wanted to start in the new year, right? You wanted to go to Leviticus. You think, man, new year, exciting, right? What are we going to do? We're going to be like in Ephesians or like Romans or maybe like one of the, the Gospels. Like, where are we going to be? I and mean, if we have to go Old Testament, why not do, I don't know, Genesis, like new or something. Or like Isaiah, we're in Leviticus, okay? That is where most of you will stop when you read your Bible in a year, okay? And so I know, I know. And also, I'm not Pastor Anthony. And he's out of town. And so you get, you get little brother and Leviticus, all right? Uh, but trust me, it's going to be good this morning. Hey, I want to let you know, as you're, you're turning to Leviticus chapter 25, I want to let you know this morning, we have something very special. Uh, we have something, we've started a ministry called the Boiler Room. Um, and if you remember, Pastor Anthony brought this up in a sermon uh, not too long ago as an illustration. He was talking about Charles Spurgeon, uh, the, the great preacher in England who would preach and preach and preach. And one day he gave some young men a tour of the church and he was showing them around and, and uh, down in the basement he took them to a place he called the boiler room. And they thought they would just be the boiler room and he didn't understand why, the, the guys didn't understand why in the world is he showing us the boiler room. We've seen a boiler room. When he opened the door, instead of a normal boiler room, There were dozens and dozens of people on their knees praying and asking God to be with those who are in the service just above them. And uh, this morning, right back here, we actually have uh, people right now praying for you. They've prayed over your seats. They're praying for you right now. They're watching this, praying for you. For some of you, this is the first time you've been in church in quite some time. You know what? Welcome back. They're praying for you. You may have been going here for three years. You've been, you went, uh, you were original with us. They're praying for you. You may be lost and need Jesus. They're praying for you. You may be saved. You need more Jesus. They're praying for you. They don't know all your stories, but they're praying for you. If you're watching online, they're praying for you as well. Church family, we believe that God's going to do some incredible things in 2022. And we want to celebrate that. I know that uh, New Year's resolutions are something that you guys, uh, that we we do. I love New Year's. It's one of my favorite holidays. I just love it. Clean slate. Makes you feel better. I'm way thinner as soon as that clock uh, strikes 12. Like, right, you know, it's New Year. All the old weight gone. And so, like, I I get that. I love New Year's. I I love New Year's resolutions. But I also love us. Uh, Like, I'm a millennial, right? And then we have the Gen Z. Like, I love that we didn't want to be so uh, weighed down by having to write out New Year's resolutions and all those words that we just made a word of the year. We just made it one word, okay? We don't want to write out 50 different resolutions. No, we're just going to give a word, right? Uh, And so we have, this is the year of uh, joy. This is the year of, and, and listen, my wife does this and I love it, okay? Her and her friends get together. I didn't even know people did. Her and her friends get together and they talk about what is the word of the year for us. And how you find that out is basically you look back on your past year. What are some things that you struggled with? What are some things that maybe you need to focus on more? What are some things that maybe, um, uh, maybe you've never done before and you want to try or you see these, uh, these struggles in, in your life, whatever it is, and you find a focus for your, for your new year and you give a word. And so it's the year of whatever. 
happiness, year of unity, year of skinny, year of rich, whatever, um, or just Starbucks, whatever. It's a year of whatever. My wife, hers is, uh, is delight. So this year, she wants to focus on delighting. And how good is that? How super spiritual does that sound? Like She wants to delight in Jesus. She wants to delight in our marriage. She wants to delight in our children. We have three children, all under six years old. She needs to delight. That's a word, okay? That's a good word, hard word to achieve. And so listen, that's her word. And I love this because all y'all are so funny. Y'all, uh, every one of y'all just the funniest people in the whole world. Come up to me and go, I'll tell you right now what your word needs to be. Decaf. <laughs> Listen, get behind me, Satan, okay? Uh, we don't do that here, all right? That's not a good word. A, that's a dumb word for you, if that's your word of year. A... Anyways, and so uh, what is the word of the year? And so I was thinking through this, and all I could conjure up in my mind and what I could not escape What's the word jubilee, the year of jubilee? And we don't talk much about it, and you may not know much about it. It's deep in Leviticus, right? But I was thinking about the year of jubilee, which was a, a, a calendared event that all the people of Israel would look forward to. I want to read just a little bit about it, and then we're going to dive on in. And we're going we're gonna to see what the year of Jubilee has to do with us. A, a Levitical uh, holiday that we see in the life of God's people in the Old Testament. How in the world does that even matter to us today? But it's a lot and it's heavy. Thus, we, like in everything, we need the power of the Holy Spirit, the same one that will meet with you in the morning when you get up, snow on the ground, and you read your Bible in the morning. The very same Holy Spirit you need there is the same Spirit we need right here as we learn from God's word. So let's pray together and let's dive on in. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you so much for your spirit that makes uh, clear to us what you have for us, ultimately to bring you honor and you glory, not to elevate ourselves or make ourselves uh, feel better, but rather you have given us your word so that we know you. God, we know you. And as a result, know how to serve you best with the lives that you've given us. Help us make your word clear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Leviticus. Chapter 25, verses 8 through 12, depicts this year of Jubilee. It says this, You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Let me tell you, uh, that's seven bundles of seven years, okay? So for 49 years, this is what he's talking about, okay? So you need to set aside, after 49 years... He says, then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all the land. And you shall consecrate, set aside the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land and all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property. Each of you shall return to his clan. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. Listen, verse 12, for it is a jubilee, it shall be holy to you. So this year is set aside. I love this. God, God loves numbers. He, there's a whole book in the Bible about it, right? He loves numbers. He loves numbers. He loves the number seven. He loves the number seven. He worked for six days in creation and rested on the seventh day. And that was the model for us. That's why we have the Sabbath and we're supposed to keep it holy. Because we were built to rest. We're built to work, yes, but we need rest. And God modeled that for us. And so on the seventh day, we rest. Not only that, uh, every seven years, in, and God wrote this in for his people because he knows us and he knows his creation. 
that every seven years is a Sabbath year. It's a year of rest. It's a year of rest where people rest from their labor and the land would rest from its working. He understands this. Now, you think that's big. Imagine seven times seven. That's a big year, right? After 49 years, there's this calendared event that they would look forward to in the life of the children of Israel called the year of Jubilee. And on the 50th year, they would set it aside and they would go all out. They would go all out for the year of Jubilee. Jubilee was a time to rest and to reset all things back to the way that God intended them. A reset back to God's original intent and design. Debts were paid in full. Listen to me. So, no joke, the year of Jubilee was so huge that when you got a loan, right? When you got a loan for your house, or, or maybe you fell on hard times, and you had to lease out the land that you were given as an inheritance from, uh, from your family and the clan that you were a part of in the Old Testament, Right? Maybe you fell on hard times and you had, to, you had to sell off some of your land. Well, you would structure the loans. You would structure the loans to be paid in full by the year of Jubilee so that your debts have been paid. So you, everything would be structured to that day. Every, every debt would be structured so that they are paid in full on the year of Jubilee. You may have fallen on hard times and you had to lease out your land to another person so that you would have money to support you and your family. You would, like I said, return to your land. You would get your land back. Everything was structured. So on the year of Jubilee, your debts would be forgiven and the financial burden would be lifted. The emotional burden would be lifted in the year of Jubilee. It was a great time of freedom. Not only that, there was a spiritual uh, freedom. There was financial, social burdens that were lifted. The slaves, those who had made themselves indentured servants and, 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 and had given up their life and their time because they needed money or, or whatever the reason may be, they were freed. The land and its workers were resting from plowing and planting. Really, it was a time of reflecting on the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, realigning our heart, soul, mind, and strength with God's purpose, resting in God's working and not our own power. And in that resting, experiencing restoration from the Lord. And all along, it was a year full of rejoicing, celebrating the Lord. And it all kicked off with the Day of Atonement. It all kicked off this year, this special year that some people never even got to experience. If they, if they died before that 50th year, or, or maybe they didn't experience it, and most people only got to experience it once, and, and it was this huge time. It was so exciting. And it kicked off with the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is this, is that uh, uh, once a year in the kickoff to the year of Jubilee, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would come and he would first make a sacrifice on behalf of him and uh, his family because he was sinful, right? And he had to make a sacrifice so that he was ceremonially clean to then go on behalf of the people of God. And he would take two goats. And he would take one, they would kill it, and they would take its blood, and they would put it onto the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, right? And it was the payment for the sin of the people. They had sin. They couldn't work to, to, to uh, fulfill that payment. They, nothing they could do. But the blood of that goat would go, and it would serve as payment for the sins of the people. And then they would take the other goat, and they, the high priest would put his hand on the head of the goat, and he would confess the sins of Israel on that goat. 
And then they would take that goat and they would take it out into the wilderness with an appointed man and the, and the sins were gone. And that goat was called a scapegoat. And the sins were gone. They were, not only were they paid for, they were forgotten. They were covered and they were gone. And that was a great time of spiritual renewal for the people. I mean, this beautiful time, that once a year of Day of Atonement, that their sin debt was paid and forgiven and forgotten. It was gone. And it was at this moment of spiritual liberty that they would grab a ram's horn. That's what jubilee means. It means ram's horn. And they would take this ram's horn and they would, and I love this in verse 10, and you shall consecrate the 50th year. They would take that ram's horn, just like that, same noise, and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. There shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to your property and each of you shall return to his clan. The word jubilee, they would blow that ram's horn after the Day of Atonement, after their spiritual debts had been paid, their sin debts had been paid and forgotten. The ram's horn would ring out. There's liberty and there's freedom for all in the land. Man, what a way to start off the year. I had grape juice. And they had a ram's horn. They had all that stuff. That sparkling grape juice. Man, their years are bad. So they, this year of Jubilee would start out. And you know, you know what? You and I don't understand ram's horns. We don't really do that unless you're one of the mountain people. We don't have ram's horn that we blow, okay? But we understand Liberty Bells, right? The State House Bell in Pennsylvania, it became a herald of liberty in the 19th century. And it said this, written on it, was Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. The bell's inscription provided a rallying cry for abolitionists wishing to end slavery. The anti-slave record and abolitionist uh, publication first referred to the bell as the Liberty Bell in 1835. Beginning in the late 1800s, the Liberty Bell traveled across the country from town to town to fairs and expositions. Uh, then you had uh, large town and small town uh, appearances that made. For a nation recovering from the wounds of the Civil War, the bell served as a reminder to Americans of a time when they fought together for freedom and for independence. Now a worldwide symbol, the bell's message of liberty remains just as relevant and powerful today. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. And so this song of liberty, this, this blast of this ram's horn would go out into all the area and they would know that you who have been a slave for however many years are now free. Listen, I just picture it. I know this is, I'm such a millennial. I just picture it being just like Aladdin. When Aladdin said, Genie, you're free. And all of a sudden his, his, his uh, bracelets come off and he's just celebrating. Right, He does flips and goes to Disney World. Probably same thing happened, right? Man, there was this time of spiritual, financial freedom. Burdens that you'd been carrying for some 49 years are now gone. What a year! And it led to much rejoicing. But not only that, the Lord's really good. He's a, he, he, he uses a lot of agricultural references. If you look in the New Testament, you're going to learn this, okay? Just follow me. You're going to learn this as you maybe are reading through the Bible in a year, which I think is great, and there's still time to start that. You're only on day two, so there's still time to start, right? Maybe you're reading through the Bible in a year. You're going to see that God knows plants and farming and agriculture. He just does. 
You see, in the New Testament, he, he makes a lot of illustrations and alludes to a lot of agricultural terms. Um, wheat and tares, harvest. Look at the fields, white unto harvest. Uh, the, the, the seed that was thrown on the ground, and some landed in some soil, some landed in the other soil. God knows farming. He does. And he also understands his creation, which he created. Not only do we need to rest, right? But the land needs to rest. The land needs to rest. If you continue to work it and work it and, and just try to plow and plant and plow, and har- if you don't give land time to rest, and those of you who work in agriculture, you know this, if you don't give the land time to rest, you're going to ruin it. It's not going to be able. If you don't allow it to rest and restore, what's going to happen is it's going to become uh, less yielding in its fruit and the fruit and the harvest is going to be weaker. But if you allow it to rest, what's going to happen? It's going to be abundant, Right? And the Lord knew this, and this is why I called them. Hey, listen, you're not going to plow, you're not going to plant, you're not going to do any of that stuff. And you go, well, how in the world do they survive if they can't do that? Well, the beauty of the Lord. So you have uh, on the 48th year, the 48th year, the Lord would give them such a bountiful harvest that it would last them for three years. So even back when they're they're uh, working again in the fields and they're sowing the seed and they're, they're, they're harvesting. There's still food left from three years prior. The Lord is a good farmer and he takes care of his people and he set it up so that there could be a time of rest because he knows if you don't, it's not going to go well. And we don't have to look back. Listen, we don't have to look back in Leviticus to figure that out. We just have to look back to the early 1930s. Crops began to fail on the onset of a drought in 1931, exposing bare and overplowed farmland without deep-rooted prairie grass to hold the soil in place. It began to blow away. Eroding soil led to a massive dust storm and economic devastation, especially in the southern plains. After months of brutal conditions, the skies finally cleared. By the morning of April 14, 1935, that's four years, And the winds died down, a rarity in the nearly treeless landscape. Residents came outside to do much-needed chores, to hang out in the sunshine for the first time in a long time, or to go to church. Optimism abounded, with one Oklahoma minister declaring that just a few good rainstorms and everything's going to be fertile again. But it wasn't so. That morning, a cold front moving down from Canada clashed with warm air sitting over the Dakotas. And in just a couple of hours, the temperature dropped more than 30 degrees and the winds whipped into a frenzy, creating a dust cloud that grew to hundreds of miles wide and thousands of feet high as it headed south, reaching a full fury over southeastern Colorado and southwestern Kansas and uh, the Oklahoma and Texas panhandles. It turned a sunny day completely and totally dark. Drivers were forced to take refuge in their cars, while other residents hunkered down in basements, barns, fire stations, and tornado shelters, as well as under beds. As the storm dragged on for hours, panic set in. One woman reportedly even contemplated killing her young baby rather than have it face what seemed like was Armageddon. Birds, mice, jackrabbits, they fled for their lives and many didn't make it. By all accounts, it was the worst black blizzard of the Dust Bowl, lasting longer than any of the others. 
and covering more ground. Later estimates place that the amount of displaced topsoil was over 300,000 tons, which some flew as far as the East Coast. You know what the Lord understood that we didn't understand in 1935, but he understood in Leviticus? That if you don't let the ground rest, when, when storms come, it doesn't have the root system. It doesn't have the capability to withstand it. And listen, you may think, oh, that storm's just going to affect a little bit of the ground. No, no, no. It affected the entire country. God understands farming. He understands his people. He understands his creation. And you know what I love about the Old Testament? Listen, just walk with me here. I love the Old Testament because it matters. I know you're sitting there going to be reading your Bible in a year, and I love that. I love it. I think it's great. And it's going to be hard. You're going to go, well, why do I have to read the old when I got the new? Why do I need to read the old one? I already got the new. It's shiny. I like that one. Why do I need to watch, uh, read the new or the old? And listen, without reading the Old Testament, the whole Bible is like starring the movie up and right in the middle of the movie. You have no idea why that dog can talk. You have no idea where the chubby Boy Scout came from. Why in the world are there balloons on his house? And why is that old man so grumpy all the time? You have no idea. Right? You have no idea if you don't read the Old Testament. The Old Testament is like the beginning of the movie. You must read it. It tells the beautiful story of man, sin and redemption and the beautiful thread of Jesus all the way through. And one of the things you'll find in the Old Testament as you're reading it, like you're reading right here, is when you read things in the Old Testament, take note. Because oftentimes, in the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament writers and the Lord, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is giving us a glimpse into what is going to be coming in Christ Jesus. That we would see things in the Old Testament that are merely shadows of things that are coming in the New Testament. Things that are greater and better and unbelievably beautiful. Much like the year of Jubilee, which for the people in the Old Testament was a calendared event that they looked forward to with great anticipation. They couldn't just do it whenever they wanted to. They had to wait for that time that was set aside. But church, I encourage you and I tell you this today. Why? Because what was, what was calendared and anticipated on, an, on a calendar for the people of God, for you and I, because of Christ Jesus, the year of Jubilee and all that took place for us is a reality now, is a reality today. It's not something we have to look forward to longer. No, no, it's a reality today. Why? I, listen, this is why I love the Old Testament. Listen, listen, this is good. Because why? For you and I to have a life of Jubilee, a life of great rejoicing. What did the year of Jubilee have to start with? The Day of Atonement. What does our spiritual life and our lives of Jubilee start with? But the Day of Atonement. But this one's different. This is not one that has to be repeated yearly. This is not one where imperfect high priests come and offer uh, animals on behalf of people and then have to confess their own sin and the sin of the people. No, no. This Day of Atonement looked very different. We're the greatest high priest, Christ Jesus, who didn't have to make uh, any kind of sacrifice on behalf of himself because he was sinless, would come, and he wouldn't just find a sacrifice, he would become the sacrifice. 
that our great high, great high priest would sacrifice himself, both forgiving and paying for our sins and also forgetting them and cleansing them from the record, casting them out, never to be brought up again. Romans 3, 23 through 25 says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, whom put forward, uh, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Big word. Listen, we, we uh, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God and made a right payment that we were supposed to pay. He made it on our behalf so that we may be sinless. God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, not by works, by faith. That was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, listen, church, he passed over former sins. So the day of atonement was Jesus, who was the better day of atonement, who came and he gave his life so that we may be free. And just like on the day of atonement, on the year of Jubilee, where out of that you would hear a, a, a ram's horn come, or maybe you would hear a liberty bell, and you would hear them declare all over the land that there is liberty today. There was not a ram's horn, there was not a liberty bell, but rather uh, uh, the declaration came out from a rugged cross from our Savior who said, it is finished. And then an angel at a tomb who said, he is risen. And that declares out for you and for me and for all people, there's liberty here. There's liberty here. Follow me. And you will be freed from the spiritual burdens you think you can just carry and good your way out of. There's liberty here. I can take that. From the shame that our sin brings and festers and grows in us, there's freedom from that. That burden you got, you don't have to carry that anymore. I died for that. That's gone. There's freedom. There's liberty in Christ Jesus. And he declares it by his blood. To all those who would seek to follow after him. And when he does that, freedom is given. Romans 6, 17 through 18 says this. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the, the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. Listen, if you're in Christ Jesus today, you can look back on what the sacrifice Jesus made and you can walk today in freedom. Not this weird prosperity freedom where you can just do whatever you want and the Lord's going to bless it. No, no, no. You're freed from what sin thinks it has on you. It doesn't have it. You're freed from the shame and the guilt and the obligation to sin. You don't have to. Jesus died and crucified that. We're free. We were once bound for this land. And now he set us free. And what do we have? We have a home in glory returning to a land that he's prepared for us. We're free. Man, what a year. What a day to walk in freedom. Because we worked hard, no. Because he sets us free. Not only that, not only do we walk in freedom, he offers us rest. We're going to move in here. Listen, I want us to listen. We're going to move into a time of response here. And I want you to listen here. Because each of you are at different spaces and different places in your spiritual walk. 
One of the beautiful things that the Lord gives us in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28. says this, Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not, I'm not going to give you 400 hours more work week. I'm not going to give you the stamina to work so hard you neglect your family. I'm not going to give you... No, 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 no. He says this, I'm going to give you rest. What he chooses to give us, when he could give us anything, is he, one, first off, gives us himself, which is enough, and then he gives us rest. In a world and in a country that all we have to do is work hard, hard, hard. Hey, you just got to keep working. Don't stop. Jesus says, I'll give you rest. I want us to be the hardest working people on the planet. But I want us to rest well. And Jesus says, I will give you rest. Let me, let me tell you something, church. Let me tell you that right now, where we're at, you can have your word of the year, and I think it's great. I think you can have a word of the year. But the word jubilee, I hope, frames. I hope when you think of that and you think of the word for your day, the word for your Monday, it would be jubilee. Where you reflect and you look back on the sacrifice that was made and from that spiritual place of freedom because of Christ Jesus. It leads you to realign. Almost like going to every morning, waking up, going to the spiritual chiropractor. And get them to put everything back in place so that you can walk faithfully and realign your heart, soul, mind, and strength with Jesus. And that it would lead you to rest. To really, really rest. He's given us, a, he said, listen, once a week, find rest. We're a people who need rest. Find rest. Daily. Listen, when you're driving, maybe you need to rest while you're driving. Don't sleep, but rest. And in that resting, allow the Lord to restore, to rejuvenate, to re-energize you for the life that He's called you to live because it will not be easy. Not even for one ounce will it be easy to follow Jesus this year. I don't care what your resolution is. It's going to be difficult and if we do not find rest, if you and I do not resolve today, and not just today, but in the morning, and tomorrow at lunch, and tomorrow evening, and when we're sick, and when we're tired, and when we're busy, if we do not rest, then it'll just be just like the Lord said. The fruit of our lives will be weak. And just like the Dust Bowl, it may look good like it has prairie grass all over the front. It may look good on the top. But when the storms of life come, you're not rooted in anything. And your life will become much like that black blizzard in the Dust Bowl. And listen, it won't just affect you, it'll affect others. But when you and I rest in Jesus daily, weekly, and we have weekly rhythms of rest in the Lord... What happens is when the storms of life come, we are rooted in something far greater than the winds of this life. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. What a better way to start off your year than to give your life to Jesus this morning. Listen, your life won't be perfect afterwards. You're not going to walk out and have a brand new truck in the parking lot. That's not going to happen. Actually, to follow Jesus means that your life's probably going to get harder. 
It's going to get hard. It just will. But it's weird because it'll get harder, but it'll be far better. Because you will no longer have to carry the burden of a sin payment you can't pay. You will no longer have burdens of shame that you cannot come overcome. But Jesus can. You will finally find the thing that you've been missing. You've been trying to fit in and try to make it fit in this spot that can only be filled by Jesus. Give your life to Jesus today. I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know. This may be your first time in church in a long time. Welcome. We're imperfect. We mess up. We fall down. We get mad at our kids for breaking Christmas tree ornaments. We do it, right? We're imperfect. But we want to imperfectly pursue Jesus with everything we got. Join us. Give your life to Jesus. How do you do that? Listen, I'm a substitute teacher here in Sevier County. If you ever need a substitute teacher, no big deal. Um, do you want a lot of production out of your kids? Don't get me, okay? Um, we play hangman 95% of the time going, oh, you're in the intermediate school. Now it's senior high. One of the things I noticed is that I couldn't get our kids to do anything. Literally couldn't get them to function for anything. The only two things that made them actually get up and do something were lunch and the Pledge of Allegiance. Because they weren't going to sit down for I got no idea. Well, there's this moment where they stood with their hand over their heart and they said, America, I'm yours. You got me. All of me. I pledge my allegiance to you. Good days, bad days. Like president, don't like president. I'm yours. Taxes high, inflation, I'm yours. Alabama wins every single national championship game in the whole entire world. And it seems like it's unfair and probably, uh, probably something evil going on there. I'm still yours. Maybe this morning you need to pledge your allegiance to Jesus. Maybe this morning, unlike our imperfect pledge of allegiance to America, maybe you can pledge your allegiance perfectly to a king who does not change, who does, does not disappoint, who never lets you down, but only ever delivers on the promises he's made. He's faithful. He's just. He is forgiving. And no matter what sin burden you think you bear, He can defeat it. He can destroy it. Because He has already. You're carrying a debt right now that you can't pay for. But somebody else has already done it. So maybe this morning you give your life to Jesus. And we can imperfectly pursue Him together. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.